Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 32 of the Pitch to Contact podcast, the first official off-season edition. I'm your host, Ben Jones from Twinkietown, and I am joined by my co-host, John Kuh of PitcherList, and now also of Twinkietown. John, we're happy to have you on the Twinkietown staff as well. Glad to be on the ship. Yeah, it'll be good. So if uh, you like John, if you want to get more of his uh, great analysis, you can check him out there as well. Um, and we'll uh, we'll make sure to uh, promote anything that we're doing that uh, we really want to bring to the forefront as well. So as we move into the offseason here, we're going to have a little bit of a different format. Obviously, there's no games for us to go over, but we'll hit whatever news and notes there are that we've missed between the last time we recorded pods. And then as well, uh, we'll make sure to, um, you know, hit some highlights that are coming up around the schedule in that time. So the nice thing about the MLB offseason calendar is you do have a lot of those built in. Uh, obviously, with the World Series going on right now, the first thing up is free agency. So we're going to talk about some early decisions the Twins have to make uh, with some of their own players right now as we get started. But before we get there, John, it's been a pretty exciting uh, World Series so far. What are you thinking? What are your takeaways? Uh Adelis Garcia is every bit the player that I thought he's always been, and uh, I'm very glad that he's succeeding on a national stage. Not that like playing for Texas isn't like not a big enough stage already, but I do think he was one of those guys who was a little bit slept on, and uh, yeah, him being basically the the offensive monster that he is is uh, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, no, it, it's been super fun. He. Uh, He's got the swagger that I think makes it really exciting too. You know, he uh, there's the big fight with the uh, Astros that happened in the yeah. last series. And now he's just like carried that hatred towards the uh, Diamondbacks, it seems like. But yeah, the uh, Rangers took game one. The Diamondbacks took game two pretty convincingly. It's shaping up to be a pretty good series. Yeah, I mean, it's also surprising considering this whole Arizona team. Like you look, obviously they've got Corbin Carroll who is going to be the national league rookie of the year uh i can't imagine yep. anyone else who's going to compete with him for that that position but you look at the rest of the team and it's like zach allen's really good and then christian walker to me is like one of the like the most underrated first baseman in the major leagues but he actually hasn't been, been having a good playoff terrible yeah yeah and so it's like the rest of the team you're like who how did yeah. well you, you know they just <laughs> got hot at the right time i guess 
They're they're being carried by uh, Kevin Ginkle and Ryan Thompson yeah. the bullpen. Like the gink is doing it, man. It's it's pretty crazy. But yeah, it's a uh, they're, they're definitely like the epitome of the underachieving regular season team with just enough talent mm-hmm. to succeed in the playoffs. Because you know, especially for the Diamondbacks, I think they have a pretty you know balanced offense. They have Carroll, they have uh, Cattell Marte. Christian Walker hasn't been good uh, in the playoffs, but he has in the past. And then uh, Gabby Moreno has been playing excellent yeah. all postseason, and so. Um, you know, they, they have the star power there on offense, so that part isn't surprising. But what's been more surprising has been uh, the pitching, the bullpen especially, where they were really struggling for most of the year. Mm-hmm. They've uh, made a few late-season additions with Paul Seawald. They signed Ryan Thompson off the street. And, uh, yeah, that, that bullpen's become a real weapon for them. And then they have two starting pitchers, apparently. Uh, and then Brandon Fott, who's put together, like, the best three starts of his entire career here in the playoffs. Yeah, it's a little frustrating because I picked up Fott in, like, some fantasy leagues, you know, during – uh, during during my drafts because he was kind of this guy who maybe had a chance to break the Arizona rotation. He had some nice stuff in the minors and then he just like didn't come up for a month. And then when he did, it was yeah. not impressive at all. So, you know, it, it's, it's at least good to see him do something on the major league stage. Um, and I mean, I hope it, it turns out into more productive seasons for him going on forward because this season was a little bit of a disappointment fantasy wise. Yeah, he's he has a little bit of uh, Joe Ryan to him. Same with same thing with Merrill Kelly, where the Diamondbacks kind of have a specific type that they like. Where you know it's not the overpowering stuff, but they have the you know deceptive fastball that sneaks by guys and uh, fought. I was I can't remember where I was reading this, but he apparently made a uh, shift on the rubber to sh- to sit on the third base side oh, instead sure. of the first base side like he was before, mm-hmm. which apparently has played up his deception a little bit in the playoffs. So maybe that's sustainable. Yeah, I I can't believe that Merrill Kelly is like somehow like one of the heroes of this team right now it's hilarious i know he he's i mean it's not that crazy if you've been watching the diamondbacks i watch them a little bit just because of the true. closest team that i have to me here yeah. and so i catch a good amount of their games and so he, he's been really solid the last two years now him being the diamondbacks best pitcher partly because gallon hasn't been very good but um him going from you know solid three starter to really the ace for them in the playoffs has been a big uh step up for them but yeah that just a crazy story there where he went over to korea he didn't play in the big leagues until he was 30 the diamondbacks are just full of crazy stuff like that and so we're the rangers like yeah it's cool to see the rangers and they uh you know they've never won a world series and it'd be great for them to to win one they're one of the best teams all year they scuffled in the middle but it's not super surprising they're playing this well i mean if you just imagine if they had if if the astros had lost one of their games to seattle right and mm-hmm. then the Rangers would be the AL West championship would have been the se- in the second seed, right? Like yeah. it's for all for all the you know hand wringing of like oh you know it's, it's a wild card team versus a wild card team. The Rangers just lost a tie break basically. That's that's the reason why yeah. they uh, were the number two seed, and uh, they've played some very impressive baseball. Even I mean it's hilarious enough that their pitching is somehow like being led by Jordan Montgomery of all people. Um, yeah. <laughs> like Max Scherzer is like he's playoff rotation a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. Like Max Scherzer is the, probably the biggest name on their roster who is um, healthy, not counting Jacob deGrom and uh, Max Scherzer has not been. I'm not sure Scherzer's healthy. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah that, that but pitching I, team. I think this, yeah, I, I think this all goes to show, right? Because on the flip side, also, the Rangers were one loss away from not making the playoffs at all because of how close the AL West was. Yeah. And so they were one away from winning the West. They were one away from not making it. And you, all you got to do is you got to get into the dance and then win some games, right? Anybody can do it. That's what we've been saying with the Twins the whole time. The Twins 
you know, they, they gave a run, you know, they, mm-hmm. I, we're going to move on. Obviously we're going to talk about the, uh, uh, off season and their priorities and what we want them to do. But I just, I feel bad almost moving on so quickly from that season, which was a really, really good season where the twins could have been right there playing in the world series. If a few things break differently against the Astros. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, you don't want to take too much in-season results into into context, but we were with this Rangers team in in the month of September. You know, we were right there with yeah. them, and uh, yeah, free agency is obviously going to be a big big deal for this team. But it is kind of nice just to you know, and we did that in our last episode. But just sit back and just take stock and, and just be excited yeah. for the season that was. And honestly, like it's a really good building block for this team uh, going into twenty twenty four. Yep. And uh, I think it's cool, too, where you see kind of two different team-building paths that took the teams of the World Series, right, where the Diamondbacks, I think, are much more like the Twins, where they've got a few bigger contracts, a few higher-played veterans, but for the most part, it's these homegrown guys that they've uh, built up. And then on the flip side, you have the Rangers, which are like, hey, we haven't been very good. We want to be good now, so please give us Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager and uh, uh, Max Scherzer, who they basically bought from the uh, Mets for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just... Very interesting to see, you know, two completely different ways of building the team that have gotten you to the same spot. Um, with that being said, I would always prefer the Twins spend more money. Yeah, so. of course. I mean, it is kind of – they did do their big contract, right, in, in Carlos Correa. Yeah. And it it's kind of a mix of both, honestly, right? We've got a lot of nice rookies and – both these teams have some young stars playing for them. Josh Young for the Rangers. Um, you know, Jonah Heim a little bit has been a breakout candidate this season for for them. Old friend Mitch Garver is coming back, you know, healthy. Like they're not like all, you know, brilliant yeah. stars, but um there's a lot of there with the with the you know, with big money transactions, you still also have to build your team through the farm system. And both these teams are kind of yeah. showing that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you see that with some of the bigger spending teams that failed, like the Mets or the Yankees, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't have the uh, organizational depth then to withstand when everything didn't go perfectly with your higher paid players. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I lo- one more quick shout out to Mitch Garver, and then we'll move on to our main topic here. But yeah, how about that? He's uh, he's played great. I know, uh, you know, he hasn't been catching. He's been mostly DHing for them with Jonah Heim playing very well behind the plate. But he's a free agent at the end of this year. Ironically, if he's like open to paying, playing first base, he maybe could fit a need for the Twins in the offseason <laughs> as a right-handed power bat. But uh, yeah, he, he's been playing really well. And uh, I, I've been seeing a little bit of discourse on the internet about, oh, I can't believe the Twins gave up Mitch Garver for IKF and uh, Ronnie Henriquez. Yeah. And there's layers to that, right? Because then, of course, getting IKF then leads to you being able to dump Donaldson off to the Yankees and sign Carlos Correa, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all kind of a mix of moves there. But then at the same time, too, the reason uh, Mitch Garver was available for that was because, yeah, he was pretty good when he was playing. He doesn't play that much. He's hurt very often. So Yeah, and also the expectation was why, do you hold, why are you holding on to a starting caliber catcher when you have a guy – who is just as able to fill that role in Ryan Jeffers. And then granted, of course, we all saw how Ryan Jeffers' season as like the number one starter went. And of course that yeah. that made the twins, you know, do a complete left turn and, and go after Christian Vasquez. But I mean, it kind of looks like Jeffers is back a little bit. Cross your fingers. And yeah. um it, 
Maybe the uh, key to Ryan Jeffers is having another starting caliber catcher <laughs> yeah. uh, because uh, he played well when Garber was here. He didn't play well when it was Gary Sanchez. And God, I, man, that Gary Sanchez season was frustrating. Yeah. And then he plays well again when they bring in Vasquez to start. So maybe he just needs that little push. It's honestly kind of funny because I was trying to remember the second catcher for that 2022-23 that season or just the 2022 season. And I was like, I yeah. forgot who played second. Who was the second catcher? I was like, oh, yeah, it's Gary Sanchez. Wow, that feels like yeah. a lifetime ago. He was like the centerpiece of that trade that they got back. It was, it was Urshela and Sanchez, but Sanchez was like, oh, yeah, he's going to come in right away. He's going to DH. Yeah. He's going to catch. And then very quickly it became clear he was not a good enough hitter to uh, play. Of course, offense. he also like somehow turned it around this year a little bit too, just hitting homers at a ridiculous yeah. pace. But uh, granted, but that was only like, what, 30 race. games of, of action or something like that. So. Well, all that being said, I think that's a good place to transition into what we want to talk about here. Uh, so we're going to hit three main things today. The first is we're going to hit the uh, team options the Twins have this year. So that's specifically Max Kepler, Jorge Polanco. And then we're going to hit Sonny Gray and his qualifying offer. And then we're going to hit uh, Rule 5 prospects, kind of that process. And the guys the Twins are going to likely want to protect some guys that may surprise us as well. Um, so before we get into that, though, I think we got to preface this with a little bit of discussion about uh, the payroll which normally for the twins, it's pretty cut and dry where, Hey, you can pretty much expect year to year a five to $10 million increase from whatever the payroll was previously. Uh, as long as the twins are in the competitive mode, they are now, right? That's what we've seen pretty consistently since that 2019 team. Uh, Joe Polad, who's taken over running the day-to-day baseball operations or not baseball operations, but team, uh, ownership has said that he's been more willing to spend. However, uh, we've talked about this before. The big wrench in the plans was the TV contract, which is up at the end of the year for the twins. So that accounted to uh, for $55 million of their annual revenue. Uh, they still get revenue from a lot of other places, but the simple fact is that whatever happens with the TV deal from here, they're not going to get $55 million and they're probably not going to get anywhere close to it. So we have to preface that because while normally I think we could plan on the payroll being, you know, 150, potentially 160, 170, if they really want to push it next year, uh, I, I think there's a good chance that maybe keep it the same about where it was in the 140 to 150 range. Do you have any other kind of overarching thoughts about the uh, payroll right now? Not really. I mean, it is it is kind of a situation where they're going to lose some revenue, right? And so right. Then the question kind of becomes. Well then, how much is this team willing to basically lose out of its profits, so to speak, uh, in order to field as competitive of a team, right? And honestly, like there really haven't been any concrete numbers out about what a new TV deal, local TV deal, would look like. Um, You know, I've seen some numbers for other teams, like the Diamondbacks, who. you know they they got off their Bally Sports Arizona contract. Um, you know some other teams uh, that are in the middle of figuring out what their their next move is going to be for a TV contract purpose. But yeah, the, the only the problem is we just don't know what that number is going to be compared to that fifty five million that right. they were getting for Bally. The, the only thing we know for sure is it's not going to be fifty five yeah. million, right? Yeah. Uh, the there there basically is two main paths they can go. Right, is they can go find another local partner of some sort. Right. Um, you know, it doesn't look like that's going to be any of the big players like ESPN or Turner, any of those guys, because they're kind of, uh, focusing in on football and basketball, but there's still plenty of people out there that would be happy to, you know, take these rights and all the good things that come with them. However, again, 
you're probably looking at something more in the 25 to $30 million range. The other route they could go is going a direct to consumer route. And so uh, I, I'm a, I've gotten a little bit more familiar with this just because, you know, it's obviously topical for the twins. Uh, but out here in Utah, where I live, the jazz this year got, uh, basically they took back control of their TV rights and they kind of had a, a split deal with a local sports network out here where they still have uh, that portion of it, but they're paying, I think like a third of what they were before. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of it, they go direct to consumer, which is the other route the twins could take, which basically would be, you know, if you subscribe to MLB.TV, uh, if you're out of the twins market, it'd be something very similar to that where you pay, you know, 10, $15 a month and you get access to the games. Now, if you do that math really quick on the back of your hand, you need to get a lot of subscribers at 10 or $15 a month to get up to that $55 million revenue number. And so that's the other thing where there's other revenue sources you get from that as well. You can sell ads on your own network. You can uh, bring in more sponsors. You don't have to pay for programming outside of, uh, you know, when the Twins games are actually airing. But again, um, that, that comes with a whole other host of problems. I know, I think it was back in the early 2000s, the twins tried to launch their own network once and it went so poorly that I think they abandoned it after one season. So uh, that that's kind of the two different directions that twins can go. Um, they might do a mix of some sort, but either way, it's, it's going to be a drop. And so I think the thing to expect would be it to essentially maintain, which would put them in the 140 to $150 million range. I think as they sit right now, um, they're about at 100, but that's before factoring in uh, the options for Polanco and Kepler. And then, um, you know, obviously if there's any extensions or anything else like that, that that adds money to the payroll immediately, that would factor into that as well. Yeah, I think uh, looking... Uh, looking at Spotrack, they were at yeah. Uh, twenty twenty three was one fifty six, and twenty twenty four right now is at one oh seven. Um, and that okay, doesn't that doesn't higher. include those options, but um, it also doesn't yeah. include stuff that's like um like minimum contracts or arbitration. Um, like for example, yeah. on Spotrack right now, they just say we have ten million dollars invested towards catcher, but that's because that's just Christian Vasquez. Um, Jeffers will mm, still need okay. to go through arbitration to get his his money. Yeah. So uh, probably when you're looking at everything, when it's said and done again, before any of the options, you're probably looking at like 30 to 40 million. The twins have to spend this year. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's more, there's ways they can make money starting with these options. So let's start there. Um, the two options that they have again are on Max Kepler and Jorge Polanco. Max Kepler has a $10 million club option for 2024. Uh, his numbers from last year overall, uh, 260, 332, 484 line, uh, 2.9 war in 130 games. But of course, that is all brought down pretty significantly by his second half number or by his first half numbers, because in the second half, he was uh, the Twins best hitter. He was in the lineup every day and he played excellently the whole time. Uh, 926 OPS in the second half and the main change that he made was finally those hard ground balls that he was hitting towards second. He started putting them in the air. Uh, people like to be like, oh, the shift, it finally paid off. You know that Max Kepler wasn't hitting into it. I'm like, no, he's still hitting the balls there. He's just putting them in the air now. So that that was the big thing for him. So uh, well, let's start with Kepler. John, what would you do on that option for Kep? I mean, I think you still pick it up because he's still a an incredibly um, incredible left fielder in terms of defense. You know, we saw some ridiculous catches from him um, this season. And actually, is he a right fielder? Right. Yeah. Sorry, he's a right fielder. Yeah, my bad. Um, You're good. He, uh, but yeah, he's he's one of the best defensive right fielders in the game, despite the fact that he wasn't nominated for a Gold Glove. Um, and 
I don't think there's anyone on the team right now that could replace him in that capacity. Now, does defense matter all that much when you're thinking about $10 million? Not really, but he did show that he was able to change his approach at the plate in the second half of the season and keep that consistent. So I think that's a good enough reason to pick it up. Plus, if you really think that, hey, we've got some good corner outfielder options in on our team, um, you know, we want to play, uh, let's just say we want to play Matt Walner, and we think um, that, you know, Willie Castro should be kind of our everyday corner left uh, corner left fielder or something like that, you know, uh, then you could figure out a way to trade Kepler. There's still plenty of teams that need good lefty bats who can play corner corner outfield. And now that 10 million club option can be used to get some future assets. So I think ultimately I'm still picking up this option, whether or not I think Kepler is going to be my right fielder in 2024. And personally, I think that he's still going to be the, the, the best option in right field for next season. Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you said there. I mean, I think a good way to look at these is if you don't pick them up, what are you doing instead, mm-hmm. right? And I think this, uh, you can really see this with Kepler, maybe more that more so than with Polanco. Uh, with Kepler, if you don't pick up that option, you're probably probably looking at a situation where it's Trevor Larnick or Willie Castro starting in a corner outfield spot, which you don't want at this right. point. And so Larnick could very well turn into something good, but you don't want that to be your primary plan, right? You want him to be the depth option if somebody gets hurt. And so... Um, and then, you know, on the other side too, Joey Gallo got one year, 11 million coming off as significantly worse year than what Kepler had last year. And so, you know, if you were to, uh, let Kepler get to free agency, he's getting, I think, significantly more than $10 million. Yeah. It honestly, that also makes his contract more attractive to, to trade as well. So, right. It is one of those things where I think it's just a win-win for the team. And I think also if they... Yeah. If they don't select the option, they still have to pay a one million dollar buyout anyway. So yeah, there's going to be yeah, money on the, the books regardless. Too. Yeah, yeah. So you, you kind of view it as view it more as like a nine million dollar deal because that one million dollars is gone no matter exactly. what. Exactly. Um, yeah, and so for one year nine million, you would absolutely take Kepler on that, right? And so, and frankly, I don't think there's anybody anywhere in the league that values Max Kepler more than the Twins do, just because he's been around for so long. Everybody likes him, and. Uh, I mean, we saw it last year where they were very openly shopping him and they didn't feel like they got good enough value back. I was Mm -hmm. front and center saying they should have traded him and he was very bad. And then he turned things around. And now I think it's a pretty much no brainer that they bring him back on, you know, that $10 million option. Yeah. Um, And like you were saying, if they do decide that like, hey, maybe we need to uh, put this $10 million in different resource, uh, they won't have any issue at all trading him to another contender. Mm, Yeah. And I guess maybe one final thing to consider, um, and this probably goes with the Polanco conversation as well. That oftentimes people will like to break down free agency in, in terms of a dollar per war sort of metric. It's obviously not like ideal because um, it's a little deflated by the fact that there's a lot of guys who you know are like one war or half a war who are getting paid you know decent amount of money, and then there's these guys who make a have a ton of war and they're getting paid like three hundred million dollars, and so that kind of deflates the price. But generally speaking, last year the average dollar per war amount was around eight and a half million. So if you consider Kepler being a three war player, that kind of puts his value at like a one year twenty four million dollar uh, player, which means that yeah, the Twins save a lot of money by only signing him for ten mil. Right, exactly, and so that that one's no no brainer. I let's move on to Polanco here, where he has a ten and a half million dollar club option, also uh, the one million dollar buyout if they don't pick it up. But then on top of that, he has a twelve million twelve million dollar option for twenty twenty five. So whether the Twins keep him, they trade him, whatever they do, having that extra year of control 
does make him a little bit more valuable of an asset, whether that's for the Twins or somebody else. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say somebody else is because as we were talking about with Kepler, think about, okay, if Polanco isn't here, what do you do? Well, if Polanco isn't here, you have your starting second and third baseman already with uh, Julian and Royce Lewis, right? And so Polanco, if you're bringing him back, he is back basically as a probably everyday player who cycles through those two positions in DH with those guys. That, of course, depends on Byron Buxton being able to get into center field, but maybe let's not open that can of worms right now. Um, but, you know, the, he does make it a lot more of an, ex, uh, you know, an accessory to have at $10 million versus, say, um, Kepler, who, you know, you don't really have a clear replace, replacement in right field at the moment. Yeah, I do think that Buxton conversation, though, is huge. Of course, they're not going to know, like, you know, five days after the World Series ends where, where Buxton's at health-wise. But, you know, yeah. I think ideally this team probably realizes that either Julian becomes an average second base defender, which he showed a little bit. He, which I think he might already be. Right? Yeah, he, he could be average. Like, yeah. He wasn't getting treated like that, and I think understandably given his re reputation, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, he's he's got the instincts, he's got the athleticism, he's just got to kind of put it all together. Yeah. So there, there's that aspect there where if he if he stays on the, if, if Polanco stays on the roster, that gives them that option to kind of bring Julian on a little bit more slowly, right? He doesn't have to yeah. play second base. He can DH. He could play maybe first sometimes. I think yeah. another big question here, and it it's not really a one-to-one -one thing, but it's going to also be interesting to see how this Polanco decision affects their decision to um, re-sign Kyle Farmer. Uh, yeah. And that's a conversation yeah. for another day, but I think Polanco being at a little bit younger, well, he's younger than Farmer, right? He's got maybe a bit more dynamic bat because he is a switch hitter. Um, he's got a little bit more defensive flexibility in his game uh, compared to Farmer, but I think Polanco at 10.5 being kind of your maybe potentially your super utility, maybe your everyday second baseman, I'm kind of okay with that. Uh, but yeah. it's also hard to say because, like you said, the Buxton question is really going to be a big decider in how this team uh, will approach their rotation uh, in terms of who plays uh, who plays second and third base next year. Yeah. And, I, I mean, with uh, Polanco, too, I don't think there's anything saying, you know, hey, we're going to bring you back, but we're going to, you know, maybe use you a little more in a Willie Castro role, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, you're going to be in the lineup almost every day, but we're going to need you to maybe get a few reps in left field, a few reps at first base, right? And not that I think Polanco is going to play in center or, you know, Kepler will be in right every single day. Polanco is definitely not going to play it short, but, you know, just have a little bit more of versatility so that way you can be in the lineup uh, every single day. And I think Willie Castro finished with, you know, 120, 130 games, somewhere in that range mm -hmm. as a utility guy. I, I think you would definitely take that from Polanco as well. And so that I, I do agree with you on the farmer point though, where he's due, I think it was uh MLB trade rumors projecting him for 6.6 yeah. million uh -huh. next year, which I really don't think it makes sense to bring back both Polanco and farmer. Uh, they might temporarily and then end up trading one of them eventually, because I do think they could trade either one. You know, if you can trade Gio Urshela last year, you can probably trade, uh, Kyle Farmer for a similar, you know, low level type of prospect. Yeah. But I, I don't think there's very many scenarios where both of those guys are on the opening day roster. Yeah. I think the one thing that gives me pause here is just the fact that Polanco just didn't look super comfortable at third in the playoffs. Oh, definitely. you know, I mean, it's only what, like a, what's, uh, not eight, eight game sample, right? So, yeah. Or sorry, a seven game sample. 
Um, yeah, there's that. He got a few in the regular season too, but either way, it, it was so few games. He hadn't played there since I think 2014. Yeah. And so th- there is something to be said though. You know, if you tell him going into next season, like, Hey, we're going to have you in the lineup every day, but we need you to be able to play other positions. Just getting some more practice there. I think could help him quite a bit. Agreed. Yeah. And I would love to see what this team does in terms of trying to figure out if, is there a way to fit Polanco farmer, and Willie Castro on this team, but honestly, it looks like Willie Castro is going to be staying. And I think, yeah, he, I think he's pretty much a lock since he can play short and center field, right? So. And I think Polanco, with his club option, is likely staying as well. So it it really feels like Farmer is kind of the odd man out here. Yeah, I with Polanco with this option, um, I, I think they'll pick it up again. I think there's a lot, uh, there's a much bigger question on if he'll be on the opening day roster. Uh, for that reason we were talking about, where it's not that Polanco is bad, it's not that you don't want him on your team, but if maybe your payroll is a little more restricted than you've had in recent years, $10.5 million for a guy that is mostly a luxury is a lot to give. And with that second year of team control, he could fetch you back something real, right? This isn't going to be like a Gio Urshela where you get a you know single-A prospect relief pitcher who's probably not going to make it to the bigs. Yeah, you're still trading a guy who is a switch hitter who, I mean, that's a really nice commodity. Yeah. Nowadays, it's well from both sides too. Yeah, he's not a, a detriment from one side of the plate specifically, and um, he's still yeah. a pretty good defensive second baseman. So that's something yeah. that a lot of teams could definitely use. He's not old either. He's I think he's just thirty. So, um, yeah. and ten and a half million dollars for a starting good hitting second baseman—that's more than reasonable. Mm-hmm. It's just. Again, the Twins have a lot of infield depth right now because the other thing you have to factor in here too is Brooks Lee, yep. right, who didn't put up great numbers at AAA, but his whole thing is he has a very high floor, right? And so if uh, Lewis or Julian were to miss uh, significant time, Brooks Lee could step in and fill in for either of them. Carlos Correa as well. He could step in for Correa if Correa missed significant time. And so I don't think anybody in the Twins would have – would really have any issue with that next year. Now, maybe he's not going to come in and hit as well immediately as Polanco would, but you do have, you know, again, it, I, I think a big thing of what the twins have done this last year is establishing a pretty high floor. And I think Brooks Lee does that as well as anybody. Yeah. I will say one thing about Polanco that we didn't discuss, but he has been a little bit more injury prone the last couple seasons. Yeah. that's true. And so it does make that 10 and a half option a little less attractive because it's like, well, what if like this season he misses half the games, right? Do you still want to be paying 10 and a half million for a guy who right. is good, but he's only going to play half the season. Um, and I mean, the, the big thing about Polanco for many years was his durability, but it does seem like in the last couple of seasons, he's just hasn't been completely healthy. And that's, it's not going to be a major factor, I think, but it is going to be something that the twins will have to think about uh, when they pick up that option. Yeah. The, uh, the one other thing I want to say here, as far as, uh, you know, trades go potentially freeing up salary cap space is the other thing they could do is trade Christian Vasquez, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to get anything back for Christian Vasquez, but for two years, $20 million, I think there's plenty of teams that would just take on that contract essentially for a guy who, yeah, he had probably the worst offensive season of his career last year, but he's still very good defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, teams love him. Pitchers love him. They love working with him. And you have to imagine he's going to bounce back a bit. Um, you know, that that's a big vote of confidence for Ryan Jeffers, who, you know, when you look at his offensive profile, looks like he didn't really change that much from 2022 to 2023. Mm-hmm. He maybe just got a little more lucky. Yeah. Um, and so that, that would be a pretty big bet on him. But I do also know that, um, you know, he has improved a lot defensively at throwing out runners last year. He got a lot better calling games. The twin staff were very, uh, you know, 
impressed with how well Jeffers had improved on that throughout the year too. And so that that's the one other thing you can look at as well. If you're just talking about, um, you know, I, I think the twins would love to have Christian Vasquez back next year. And I don't think by any means he's on the trade block, but if you know, you need that $10 million freed up and you have to decide between Polanco and Vasquez, mm-hmm. you know, I, I might lean the Vasquez direction for, you know, if he's really going to be your backup catcher. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately that puts the twins payroll right now, if they pick up both these options, at around 127 right and so that that gives you probably another what 10 to 15 million to play with if we're if we're being really restrictive on their payroll i'd probably i'd probably say more like 20 i i would say they're more likely in the 150 160 range Mm -hmm. and so um you know that's basically maintaining where they were year over year and yeah they're going to lose some money um tv wise which we already talked about but with how much uh with how much a positive energy there is around the twins. I think they're going to sell a lot more tickets than they did the year before. They're mm-hmm. going to sell a lot more merch than they did before. There's going to be a lot more just community support around everything, which can make up a good chunk of that. Right. But I think that there, that's why there's kind of a good argument that maybe this team um, ends up, uh, maybe this team ends up selling Christian Vasquez is just for, you know, money reasons. But right. Yeah. I, yeah. I will say. So they're, they're, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think one thing with that $107 million that I'm trying to figure out on Spotrack, if they are you know looking at it correctly, but it might already be including Polanco and um, Kepler. It's hard to say, but um, that's just kind of maybe Spotrack's estimate. So, you know, they, they've got somewhere with 20 to $40 million maybe to play with. Yeah. And so the... Uh... I think we're going to get a lot of insight into what the twins are thinking as we get to, uh, you know, the off season here and their first moves that they make, which is why we wanted to talk about this now because free agency officially starts. uh, Well, it officially starts the day after the world series ends, but you can't sign with a new team until five days after the world series ends. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Sonny Gray, for example, he could resign with the twins in that span, but he can't sign with another team until after that five days. Um, Anyway, the uh, we'll, we'll get some insight into that because that five-day window is also when you have to uh, select the options by. And then November 17th here in about uh, two, two and a half weeks, uh, that's when you have to decide on tendering contracts to your arbitration eligible players. And so that's where you'll we'll hear about Kyle Farmer, if he got a contract or not, um, or if he gets traded. That's usually when that'll happen around that same time too. Uh, which is what we saw with Urshela last year, for example. He got traded to the Angels on the contract tender deadline, essentially. So um, as those first moves are made, I think we'll get a big insight into that, right? So for example, if they uh, don't tender Kyle Farmer and they pick up Polanco's option, well, okay, that spells pretty clearly what they're planning on going forward. Yeah, and uh, it'll be Uh, interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, so that that leads us directly into uh, the Sunny Gray combo. So... Um, he's the twins highest profile free agent by far. He is a guy I think the twins would love to have back. It's just a matter of what is the contract going to look like. So Sonny Gray, since he hasn't been offered the qualifying offer before, uh, is eligible to receive it. And, uh, John, why don't you give us a quick explainer on what the qualifying offer is? Yeah. So it is a little confusing here because in the most recent CBA, they did have some new provisions for the qualifying offer, but they were dependent on. Uh, MLB accepting an international draft. Of course, MLB ended up not deciding to accept the international draft, so the CBA reverted back to the old rules for qualifying offers. But basically, what the Twins can offer is an average of the top 125 players uh, in in Major League Baseball, the kind of the 
average annual salary among all those players. It's going to be probably one year, 20 million this year. Now yeah. they offer him that qualifying IR, uh, offer gray has the option to accept or reject that offer. Um, and so if he rejects the qualifying qualifying hour offer and signs with another team for at least $50 million total, the twins will receive a pick between the first round and the competitive balance a round, which is usually kind of pick 30. Um, but if he signs for less than 50 million, which we're going to discuss is just not going to happen. Uh, the yeah. twins would receive a pick after competitive balance B round, uh, which is around pick 70. And so this is also important to consider because, um, the way that we got Sonny Gray was we traded Chase Petty, who was our first round pick that season uh, or the season before for Sonny Gray. So by potentially recouping essentially a late first rounder for um, not signing Sonny Gray, we get to kind of equalize what that trade value ends up being. Yeah, it is interesting where it's a piece of business where you see this a little more often in the NFL, where in the NFL you get similar uh, comp picks if your players sign elsewhere yeah. for certain amounts of money. And so uh, teams like the 49ers and the Patriots especially have gamed this quite a bit where they will uh, bring guys in and then let them walk in free agency, but then you get that pick back anyway that you traded out to get a player, and so you almost give up nothing. And so the Twins essentially did the same thing here where Chase Petty was pick uh, 27 overall in that draft, and then they will get – um a pick that's somewhere in the 30s if he ends up leaving because like you were saying if he signs for less than 50 million i think th the only way he does that is if uh you know 50 million or less were the max deals he was getting mm -hmm. there's no way that's not just him coming back to the twins when it's all said and done. right like no team's gonna offer sunny gray a one-year 30 million dollar contract and i don't think he himself would accept a one-year 30 million dollar yeah. contract because i think he's kind of prioritized the fact that this is probably going to be his last major league contract, so he wants it to be at least for some decent yeah. term. Yeah, and uh, the other thing too is whatever team ends up signing him has to give up. Uh, what is that? I think it's like a third or fourth round pick. It depends. Uh, uh, it depends like what the, what the team is uh, like in terms of revenue sharing, or if they're over the competitive balance uh, tax. Okay. So the Twins also the reason why they get these um, uh, the reason why they get these terms for. Uh, offering a team a call uh, offering a player qualifying hours offer is because they are a revenue um they are a revenue sharing team receiving receiving team yeah exactly yeah. so they get yeah. kind of these more beneficial sort of um numbers because they just don't have as high of a payroll but um just reading kind of the math if if you sign a player who rejects their qualifying hour, uh, offer assuming you pay the competitive balance tax so you're a luxury tax team essentially you lose your second and fifth highest selections in the following year's draft, as well as $1 million for your oh. bonus pool, which is like, that's huge, right? That's like yeah. a big deal. Um, if you are a revenue sharing team, so if you get revenue sharing money, money similar to the twins, you lose your third highest selection. So um, okay. that's like so maybe that their, their third, third round pick, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Or if they have two first round picks, maybe it's their second round pick. And right. then if you don't receive revenue sharing and you did not exceed the luxury tax threshold, you know, that's a much smaller pool of players, you lose your second high selection as well as $500,000 from your bonus pool. So yeah. there's a lot here that uh, that makes it a little bit more expensive for a team to yeah. um, sign a player who rejected a qualifying hour. And we saw this with a couple of years ago with both um, Dallas Keuchel and Craig Krimble, uh, Craig Krimble because they both were offered qualifying hour offers. They both rejected it, and then they basically just went unsigned for, like I think, two months into the season 
It, it was it was after the draft. After the draft, yep. mm-hmm. after the draft, you don't have to give up the pick anymore. And so Keuchel, I think, signed with the Braves that year yes. uh, for half the season. Kimbrel, I can't remember who he signed with. At I think the it was time, the Cubs. Yeah. yeah, or if you want a Twins example, uh, Kendrys Morales, basically the same thing. When the Twins signed him, he got the qualifying offer. Nobody signed him. The Twins ended up signing him after they basically didn't have to pay any of those penalties anymore. Right. So there's, it's going to be, it's not going to necessarily limit the teams that Sonny Gray is going to be, you know, getting offered from. But there is maybe some hesitation for some teams who are, you know, paying the luxury tax to be like, do we really want to put up money for Sonny Gray and, you know, lose our draft picks? Right. And so part of the reason the players don't like the qualifying offer system is what it effectively does is it tampers down the market for players. Um, So like if Sonny Gray didn't have, you know, any uh, restrictions on him signing with another team there would be probably a few more suitors in the mix, right? But maybe some of these lower spending guys, like let, let's use the Guardians, for example, right? The Guardians are never going to sign a guy who gets a qualifying offer, mostly one, because it's going to cost a lot of money. But two, even if they decided they did want to pay the money, there's no way the Guardians are going to want to give up those draft picks, right? right? And so um, just, and then when you have fewer teams bidding on them, it doesn't drive up the price like you maybe would see with some other players. And there's guys where it doesn't matter, right? Like Bryce Harper, Carlos Correa, uh, Corey Seager, you know, those top line guys that when they get to free agency, it's not going to matter. But, you know, a guy like Jake Odorizzi, I think is a great example. Obviously he wasn't as good as Sonny Gray, but the Twins gave him the qualifying offer. And what you can do when you get the qualifying offers, you can still talk to other teams and say, hey, you know, what are we thinking market wise? What's my, what are my deals going to look like? Jake Odorizzi doesn't get a great, uh, you know, signal that he's going to get good contract offers from guys. And so he ends up just coming back on the qualifying offer. So that is an option with Sonny where he could just come back to the Twins on the one year, $20 million deal. But I think it's almost certainly not going to happen. Yeah, and it's going to be weird. It, yeah, because it is kind of it, it doesn't make you dislike the team that put the qualifying offer on you because it is something that they can do as part of you know the CBA. It just yeah, it can be be annoying yeah. from a a sports agent's perspective. Um, you know, for for a guy who's trying to get his last contract, it's like man, it would be nice to you know get a few more, few bit more you know, millions in, in my last contract. And it's a little unfortunate, but that's kind of the way that yeah. the the CBA is set up right now. Yeah. So, I mean, if anything, you know, that'll work to the twins benefit here because they would love to have Sonny Gray back. There's no question about that. But with these payroll questions and even beyond the payroll questions, there is, uh, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of concern about what a Sonny Gray contract is going to look like. So the first things first is that Sonny Gray will receive the qualifying offer from the Twins. There's no question about that. Yep. Um, if he does end up signing elsewhere, like we mentioned before, they get back that late first round pick, which is, again, great piece of business. But right now you're still a starter short. Um, if he comes back, even better. And so... I think a thing to think about with Sonny Gray is he's coming off of probably the best season of his career, if not, you know, at least since, you know, 2015 when he was an all-star. But I think this really was the best complete season of his year. Uh, You know, he wasn't on the injured list, which is not usual for Sonny at this point. Uh, He was pitching fairly well. He was pitching deep into games. And so you have to factor that in as well, where just like we're talking about with Polanco, where 10 and a half million, if he's going to miss half the games, is that worth it? Sonny Gray, same thing. Now, maybe he's not going to miss half the games, but if he makes 20 starts next year instead of 30, um, you know, if you're paying him 25 million, which is probably what he's going to get AAV wise, uh, is that something that you can really give up if you're the twins? Yeah, it's it just looking at his numbers, right? Like the last season that he pitched over 30, 30 games was 2019 with Cincinnati. Um, and 
he's never pitched this many innings, 184 this season, uh, since 2015, that, that all-star season with Oakland. So yeah. he also, his, I'm not saying he has a tired arm because, I mean, let's be honest, he was hurt the last couple of years. That's probably why he was able to get up to 184 this season because uh, he just had more rest. But expecting this season out of Sonny Gray for the next three seasons, I think is a little unlikely. But I think the things that work in his favor were were that he was just successful despite the fact that his strikeout numbers went down, but his control yeah. was still impeccable. You know, his his walks per nine were the lowest it's been since that 25, 2015 season. Um, home runs per nine, the lowest it's been since his career, actually, which is kind of impressive. Yeah, he, he had the lowest home run home run rate in the league. Yeah, of course, and they probably gave up a couple more in the playoffs. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, if you look at his metrics, actually, you know, the, the fastball velocity stayed about the same that it's been for the last couple seasons. Yes, it's gone down, but not detrimentally. So his ERA and the whip numbers, obviously the best that they've been. So it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to not believe that this could happen at least for maybe another two seasons because his method of success right now isn't necessarily just striking out a ton of guys like it was in previous years. Um, he's a bit more methodical now with his pitching and um, it's, it's worked out for him really well. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking at the positive sign, right? Um, the positive for Sonny Gray is he's not a big, like high velocity guy, right? Mm-hmm. So as he ages, you're not counting on, that being a big part of his arsenal, which is the first thing to go away for pitchers. So, you know, I, I'm still pretty confident he can be effective into, you know, his as he gets into his mid-30s here. He turns 34 in nine days. So happy almost birthday, Sonny. But, you know, not not a great age for a pitcher going into free agency. And so when you're looking at a similar uh, structure for a contract, Chris Bassett is the one that's often brought up. Yep. He was uh, three for 70, I believe. Is that right? It was uh, three for 63 with a $3 million. Um, uh, three million dollars signing bonus so essentially three for 66 i guess yeah okay so then if you're looking at that for sunny now the difference with sunny is he's a higher profile player than bassett was even if their numbers had been pretty similar and so that drives it up uh he's probably coming off of a top three cy young finish he's coming off of an all-star season right so all of that kind of boosts up his value uh i, I think pretty significantly and so the bigger question with sunny isn't necessarily going to be the aav which is probably going to be around 25 million uh, no matter what, the question is going to be, is this a three or a four year deal? And I think if it goes to four, I would probably stay away. I think that's pretty risky. If it's three, I'm still a little concerned though. I, it, It's a lot of money. And like we're saying, obviously, if the poll ads are just like, hey, let's spend money. We don't care. Signing Sonny Gray isn't going to affect any of our moves anywhere else. We're going to run our payroll up to $180 million this year. Mm-hmm. Then great. Obviously, I will take Sonny Gray back. But being more realistic about it, I think they maybe could uh, – allocate the money elsewhere and be a little better overall yeah it's it's kind of weird because you look at pitchers that were signed at 34 which is what sunday gray is going to be next year mm-hmm. um it's not really a great group of guys um it starts with jacob de so obviously that's a completely different comparison here um we have right. miles michaelis who was more or less kind of a non-factor Fine. he signed for Three years, fifty-six million, essentially. Uh, Lance yep. Lynn signed for two years for thirty-eight with Chicago. Alex Cobb two for twenty. Clayton Kershaw one for twenty, but that's a little bit weirder. Or technically right. one for twenty-five. 
Um, that's a little different because he kind of gives a little bit of a hometown discount to the Dodgers, and they also know he's only pitching like 120 innings. And then uh, our very own Dallas Keuchel was also included in that list. (laughs) So basically there isn't like a perfect comparison for a guy going into his 34th, uh, 34th year. Well, and then the other thing too, if you're looking at like prime regression candidates, I think Sonny's right in the mix of that, right? We have talked all year about how much trouble he runs into in the fifth or sixth inning time in and time out. And then on top of that too, I think the only reason that stuff looks significantly better was that you know, league leading home run rate, which is going to be, you know, home run rates just aren't sticky year over year for the most part with a few exceptions, uh, especially for starting pitchers. And so, yeah, he was good last year, right? It was 0.8 home runs per nine, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, if he goes back to that, I'd be pretty, I think most people would be pretty happy if he only gave up 16 homers next season. Right. But then if you're like, if you're looking at that, right, if you're looking at 2022 performance from Sonny, yeah, he did 3.8 year. 3.08 3.08 ERA, but his FIP was up at 3.4. Mm-hmm. Um, he only pitched 119 innings that year, right? And so then, it, and that's probably more indicative, I think, of what he's going to look like for the next three or four years. And so that's still a very good pitcher, still easily the second best pitcher on the Twins staff right now. However, is that worth $25 million this year, let alone when he's 36 or 37? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of tough because if if you'd asked me if if you offered Sonny Gray three for seventy five, right, kind of what that twenty five annual average value that you were talking about, that's like yeah. borderline where I'm like I'd kind of take that, knowing that he's going to be, let's just say like a plus above average pitcher next season. Yeah, probably ends up as in a an average to above average season uh, pitcher in his second season. And then probably finishes as an average pitcher his third season, right? Where he's kind of playing at the level of like a number three starter. Yeah, I it's 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 to the point where I'm like I'm kind of okay with that deal. Um, again, it's not my money, so I also don't care that right. much about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there is an aspect where I think he's because of his pitch mix and how varied it is, and you know he throws six different pitches, and um, he doesn't really rely on that four seamer a ton. It does well, mean shown the other. Sorry, go ahead. I, I, it does mean that there's like a little bit longevity in his game. That all being said, though, his secondaries also took a little bit of a step back this season. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say too, to his credit, is he's shown a willingness to learn and adjust and adapt as um, you know he's gone. Where this year we saw him, you know, not abandon the sinker, but mm-hmm. where it was such a big part of what he was doing in 2022 he kind of just swapped that for his the sweeper in 2023 and saw huge improvements right and so you got to give him credit for that too where at 33 years old he's still making a lot of adjustments as he's going so that also bodes well right that we heard about the horror story with madison bumgarner early in the year which by the way what a bullet twins dodge there because supposedly they were you know second in line behind the diamondbacks yeah um, you know, kind of the big thing with him was he was just completely unwilling to adjust or do anything as his stuff diminished as he got older. And that hasn't been the case with Sonny. And so you're not super worried about something like that, at least. Yeah. I like the fact that his pitches per game this season was at 88. And that's kind of been where it's at the past few seasons. Last year was a little bit different aber- aberration because he was just hurt so much. It was down to 78. Yeah. But you were for that 85 pitches per game. You were for that 88 pitches per game. So, like, he's been able to at least maintain his fitness, you know, in terms of going deep in the games. It's just the problem, of course, that Sonny Gray just gets tagged so much for a third time through the order penalty that um, yeah. that's probably why 
you know, if he's if he's kind of a guy who's a bit more receptive to how Rocco wants to use him, I think like this makes it a little bit easier. But they, I mean, they have a healthy enough relationship there where there's mutual respect, where they understand like, yeah, Sonny's competitive. He wants to go deep in the games, and Rocco's like, yeah, but the problem is you get shelled every single time when the third, uh, you know, the. <laughs> third time through the roster and that that's improved this season a little bit so you know props to him for figuring out a little bit there but it, it's one of those things where yeah. i think he he is going to maintain a little bit of a level of his his play right now for at least maybe the next season and a half i'd say yeah and that's the whole thing with free agency right this is the gamble you're paying every time where you have to pay premium prices and you're not just not going to guarantee that uh premium performance right and so that's why a deal like the one Correa signed where you have the six years that are guaranteed and then after that it's pretty much a team option for the next four years like that's just so unprecedented Mm -hmm. right um and so getting that from Correa was awesome and obviously i don't think you get anything like that from sunny the Correa thing was very much an aberration in its own Mm -hmm. uh category but you know i do think the front office has you know shown the willingness to get creative with uh buxton for example where uh his contract is so incentive laden because of uh his injury history right and so doing something like that with buxton it's like listen if you're on the field you're going to get paid if you're not on the field you still have a pretty good base salary. And then Correa with how they structured his. Sonny, I mean, not that you can get all that creative, I think, with what he's going to go for on the open market, but you could do something if you're just worried about, you know, maybe a one-time payroll dip this year in 2024. Mm -hmm. You could do something where it's like, hey, we're giving you three for 75, but the first year, we're only going to pay you 20. The second year, we're going to pay you 30. The third year, we're going to pay you 25, right? And so you just get a little bit of cash back in the year where maybe you need it, and then you can pay it back in the future. Right. I'm also jumping on a little bit on this conversation. We're going to talk about free agent pitchers in a, in a later episode, but just to contrast, like who's a, who's going to be available besides Sunny Gray. Um, there's a little known pitcher out of Japan called Shohei Otani who's going to be available, but um, I, I just don't think he's going to be really pitching next season. Uh, I also don't think there is a chance in hell he would sign up the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, um, there's a Texas Ranger darling Jordan Montgomery who's going to be available. Uh, Blake Snell, who's going to win the NL Cy Young, so that's obviously not happening. Um, and I, I would stay away from him regardless. Yeah, Aaron Nola, who has a good season and a bad season every year of the year, so technically this is going to be his good season, but he's also going to be way out of our price range. Um, Clayton Kershaw, just that's never happening. Um, old friend Kyle Gibson, if you don't want to pay a 34-year-old Sonny Gray, how about a 36-year-old Kyle Gibson? That should be fun. Um, Jack Flaherty, who somehow just can't figure anything out, and... Um, Oh, and uh, no, that's about it. That uh, Lucas yeah, Giolito, think- if you really want to get risky. Yeah. I mean, listen, Giolito, Flaherty, uh, Gibson, they're probably all in the same one year, see what happens type of deal. So um, they, there are some options if Gray leaves. I think the Twins maybe would turn more towards the uh, trade market rather than the free agent market just because uh, Montgomery is going to be expensive because he's not going to have a qualifying offer attached since he mm-hmm. got traded in the middle of the season. Yep. Uh, Nola will have a qualifying offer and I don't think they're going to want to give up the picks and I don't think he would sign with the twins anyway. Um, the other guys, they're one year fixer upper deals essentially, which we've seen plenty of for the twins. And, you know, you can do worse than trying to fix Lucas Giolito or Jack Flaherty, right. Who have very good seasons in the past or Luis Severino for that matter, who's been God awful with the Yankees, but has been very good. And so, there are guys like that you can bring in, but where the twins have a lot of the, you know, four or five, even three starter types, mm-hmm. I think they would turn more towards the trade market to try to find a Pablo Lopez or Sonny Gray, the next guy like him to bring in. Yeah. There's only so many Luis Arias that you can, you can trade though. <laughs> Ironically, they have another one though. I, I don't want, let's not get into this tangent right now, but if they do decide to keep Polanco, 
Uh, Julian, I think, might be one of the most attractive trade chips in the league. Where <sighs> and from, I would, I do not want to trade Eddie Julian. I'm very like attached to him personally yeah. more than I am to a lot of other players. However, um, if they wanted to run it back with Polanco and then have Brooks Lee waiting in the wings, um, you could probably get almost any starting pitcher you want from a non-contender. Yeah. You know, and so um, it, it it it's a tempting choice to make yeah but. call me crazy that i'm trading polanco 100 percent way before i'm trading eddie julian so oh absolutely you're just not going to get anything near what uh, you get of course back yeah julian. that's that's the problem right polanco you're getting back a four or five starter type yeah. for making that yeah. deal you know if that if that yeah okay let's get on to our last topic here before we uh run for an hour and a half but uh the last thing we want to talk about here is uh the rule five draft so Quick explainer about the Rule 5 draft. John, why don't you uh, give us that before we go into the players themselves? Yeah, so the Rule 5 draft, I think, is something that is always exciting and then nothing really happens. Um, but, yeah. of course, probably the most famous Rule 5 draft pick in uh, Twins history is, of course, Johan Santana. Who? Uh, oh, I thought you were going to talk about Tyler Kinley. Uh, no, not, <laughs> not at all. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Rule 5 draft. Basically, this allows... Um, you know, it, it forces teams to not hoard prospects, more or less. Um, and so who's eligible for Rule 5 Draft? Basically, it's any player that was signed at 18 or younger. They're eligible after basically being on their team for five years. And then players who are signed at 19 who are signed at, you know, their 19 year old 19 years old or above are eligible to be drafted after four years. And so what the Rule 5 Draft does is it forces teams to basically protect these players by adding them to the 40 man roster. And a big thing about that is you can't take a guy off the 40-man roster after the Rule 5 draft. You had to basically... You can't take him off of the 26-man roster. He has to be on the Major League roster all season. Uh, that's when you draft a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. when you when you protect a player, right, like you can't just remove him because now he has to go through waivers oh, yeah. and all sorry, that. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yep. But if you want to draft someone who is Rule 5 eligible, you have to pay $100,000 to the team that you're drafting him from, and then you have to keep him on your 26-man roster the entire season. Uh, he can't get set down to AAA or down to the minors. If you do that, then you do have to basically send him. Uh, you you have to offer him back to the team that you tri- you picked him from for I think it's like fifty thousand dollars essentially. So, yeah. um, some notable players in the past who've been drafted from the Twins: um, Akil Badu, who had like two months of like blessed hitting with the with the Tigers and now is kind of not even good enough to be a fourth outfielder. And then Tyler Wells, who's had some pretty good success for the Baltimore Orioles as a pitcher, but he also has not been Popping doing super hot. Yeah, so, you know, Rule 5 is basically, more often than not, they don't really amount to anything, but it is important that you protect basically your elite guys who are Rule 5 eligible. Yeah. Um, just so that you know there isn't like a stupid reason that you lose like a top 10 prospect because you just forgot to protect someone yeah yeah obviously johan santana is the best example for the twins johan santana probably the best rule five draft pick of all time pretty clearly um almost nobody turns out to be like him but even like there there are some other guys that are pretty good right like ryan presley the twins picked him Mm -hmm. obviously i think he turned out to be a little bit better with the astros than he was with the twins but even guy like uh trevor stefan on the guardians he was a rule five pick uh garrett whitlock on the uh, red sox right there are guys that yeah they're not going to be all-star level players but you can find some certainly like uh helpful players in the rule five draft. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to note, because you have to keep them on the 40 man roster all season, typically the teams that draft guys in the rule five draft are non-contenders um, who are just like, Hey, maybe 
we can get this guy who's a former top prospect and turn him back into something. And so, um, you know, the guys that are left unprotected then by um, extension are, you know, like uh, low level guys who never got past a ball, which is essentially what Akil Badu was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Twins are like, oh, we can leave him unprotected. Nobody's going to take him. Tigers ended up taking him anyway. Um, or, you know, there's some older uh, guys that have been around for a while that maybe you don't want to uh, have clogging up 40 man roster space. And so I think last year there were like six players taken off the Dodgers because the Dodgers are in the middle of a championship run. They're trying to, uh, uh, you know, make sure the guys on their 40 man roster are guys that are going to contribute to the big league team. And so they lost quite a few, but again, I would be pretty surprised if the twins take anybody. However, there are quite a few that I think could be taken from the twins. Yeah. And a lot of times what you guys, what you end up seeing are like teams pick up guys who are like fourth outfielders or like a middle reliever, yeah. right? Like guys who you wouldn't mind them being up, um, playing at like basically a quad a level at the major league level because they're not necessarily contributing every single day to your team. Or if you're tanking, you know, it's a great opportunity to pick up. Right. A guy. Oakland athletics. Come on down. Yeah, yeah exactly. All rule five. Uh, Oakland picks. athletics. The, the A's pretty much take a rule five guy every single year. And they've had some decent ones, right? Like Ryan Noda this year, Mark Cano was one before anyway, but uh, you also see a few like weird situations like the Noah song one last year uh, when the Phillies took him. So Noah song was a like top level pitching prospect. I think he was he at army or air force. Uh, one of the service academies, but either way, basically he hadn't pitched in two or three years because he had been, in the armed forces serving. However, when he was in college, he had great stuff, great numbers and everything. And the Phillies picked him. They're like, maybe we can turn him into a back end reliever. And then he didn't make the team out of spring training and was returned to the Red Sox. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all, a lot of times uh, you'll also see like twins, uh, not twins. You'll see teams, you know, like, oh, we have to return this guy, but maybe we could just make a deal. Maybe, maybe yeah, we just so keep him on in, in our minors. And so, yeah, sometimes, sometimes teams will do that as well. If they like a guy enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's get into the twins guys. So I kind of have these organized in three groups. I would say, I, mm-hmm. I'd say there's two that are locks to be added two that I think are pretty likely to be added. And then the other ones won't, but also who knows, like last year, the twins added uh Brent Hedrick and Casey, Casey Legumina who promptly got traded. But um, sometimes teams get Intel uh, on like, Hey, this guy's likely to be taken. And instead of, um, you know, just exposing him to the draft, it'll add him to the roster and then uh, trade him to one of the teams that were interested. Yeah. Um, I think another important thing to note is that because they have to get added to the 40 man, uh, the twins have already made some moves to remove guys off their 40 man. So that's why there's some availability to, to add these guys. Um, but, you know, there is a limit. They can't add everyone because they only have yeah. so many yeah. open spots on their 40 man roster as well. Yeah. So I think they're at like. Th- 30 or 32 right now all the free agents are off obviously but then uh oliver ortega was dfa'd uh mm-hmm. guys like jose de leon uh some of the other veterans that were on uh, minor league deals are off the roster so right um first one which is a lock and uh if he was left unprotected he would be the number one pick without a doubt is emmanuel rodriguez who's the twins third ranked prospect he is a international guy who was playing at high a this year uh coming off of a knee injury he played 99 games hit uh 240 with a 400 on base percentage and a 463 slugging percentage Obviously, uh, the name of the game for him there is the OBP hitting 240, but still having the 400 on base percentage is very impressive. Yeah, 92 walks will get you there. <laughs> yeah, 92 walks in 99 games. So, yeah, uh, very impressive. Ed Julian esque. Yeah, he did strike out 134 times. Yeah, I mean, better than Julian, honestly. Um, 
But yeah, I think we're going to do a prospect show a little bit later this offseason, uh, talk about some of their top guys, some sleepers, things like that. But he's a guy who, you know, with that eye has the potential to become a very, very good batter, but the strikeout rate is very concerning. And the big thing with him has been a lot of passivity, uh, just letting a lot of pitches go by, you know, a little similar to Julian in the big leagues this year. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of the big thing they're working on with him. He plays center field right now. He's probably going to move to a corner eventually. But, uh, yeah, he, there, there's no way the Twins aren't adding him to the roster as soon as they can. Yeah. And uh, honestly, like, he is still kind of raw, too, because he's only 20 years old. Yeah. Um, he was playing 20. He was 20 years old, basically facing double-A pitching, which is a couple steps higher than, you know, most other guys yeah. his age are, are facing. Yeah. The other thing here with these to keep in mind, too, is it does get the uh, option clock then rolling for them where – Manuel Rodriguez isn't going to be on the Twins next year, and so he'll be optioned to probably double A to start the season, I would imagine. Uh, and you get three option years. And so basically, you got to figure out if you're a big league regular by uh, the time you get to that third year. And so for Emmanuel Rodriguez, that'll be by when he's 23, yeah. which uh, is pretty it, – it's aggressive, right? But that's why they have this draft, because they want to get the talented guys to the big leagues. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so the second one is Austin Martin, who was the uh, centerpiece of the Jose Barrios trade, him along with Simeon Woods Richardson. Uh, he was considered, you know, a pretty consensus top 50 prospect at the time the Twins got him, and he mostly just hasn't developed. He had a very, very bad year in 2022. In 2023, he rebounded to be a very similar player to who he was uh, in 2021, which is good, but... Uh, the big thing for him was they were trying to develop some power out of him, so they switched his swing, and that kind of messed everything up. He's still not a great power hitter, uh, but he makes a good amount of contact. He doesn't strike out a lot. And then, again, he has a really good eye. He had a 263, 387, 405 line at AAA this year. Yeah, I mean, obviously you see in that 405 slugging that um, he's clearly not a power guy, but um, he gets on base a lot, and he's speedy, so he's one of those kind of old-school, prototypical center, center fielders. Yeah, he... Uh, he, I think, is going to be used in the outfield in the big leagues. He was a shortstop kind of by trade when the Twins got him, but he has just been absolutely terrible playing shortstop. And so he's pretty much uh, this year in AAA, he played in the outfield and he played second base. Uh, and I think he kind of profiles a little bit more as a utility guy. For the Twins, that could mean playing in center field, right? Mm -hmm. He's an older prospect. He's pretty you know, well-polished at this point. He's seen a lot of pitches, a lot of uh, big league caliber, caliber pitching at AAA. Uh, but with Michael A. Taylor leaving and Buxton's health always in question, he could factor into the center field mix here pretty quick. Unlike Rodriguez, who, yeah, plays center field, but is so raw that you know there's no way he plays for the Twins at any point in 2024. Right. Yeah. The thing with, with the thing with Martin is I don't I don't think he's going to be on the opening day roster. But he, yeah, probably not. But he is a guy who's probably going to get called up sometime in June next year. Yeah. Uh, just because they're going to need him to play center field a couple days, maybe fill in at second base too. Um, and he doesn't have as, you know, garbage of a hit tool where he wouldn't be, he would be a zero basically at, at, at the, yeah. in the nine hole. Yeah. He'll, he'll make contact. It's just going to be, you know, singles, yeah, stolen exactly. bases, you know, stuff like that. And so that, that's not a horrible thing to have when you're paying him on a minimum contract and everything. And I, I think it'll be a little bit similar to how Julian was treated at the beginning of the year, where he's not going to be on the roster opening day, but kind of as soon as you need a center fielder, he's going to be the first guy up, which again, when you're talking about setting the floor, that's a great place to be. And so whether you bring back Michael A. Taylor or you have Willie Castro or Byron Buxton is healthy enough to go, you have some other options there. And then the f next guy up is a, you know, high floor type guy. Yeah. Um, okay. So these next two, so these are the two that I would put in the 
maybe like 50-50 category. And they're actually very similar uh, in that they both have a lot of power and decent defense, but maybe don't offer a lot else. Uh, but the first one is Junior Severino, who split uh, his time between double and triple A, almost played uh, he played most of the season at double A and then uh, kind of the last month of the year up at triple A. He had 35 home runs, which led all of minor league baseball, uh, which is just partly due to the fact that he was available and healthy and played pretty much every single day. Uh, but he is a first base, third base uh, type prototypical. He played mostly third base with a few games at second and first mixed in, but probably long-term projects more uh, third or first. And then Again, the name of the game for him is power. He doesn't have a great contact tool. He strikes out a ton, but he hits home runs and he takes walks. Basically, Miguel Sano light. He's also kind of your backup plan in case Kirilov uh, just completely, yeah. uh, completely is unable to play baseball. Yeah, uh, Sano light, but without any of the uh, prospect capital. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, like truly uh, Sano, light. Sano was pretty good. Con- yeah, Sano was pretty consensus top 10 guy. Junior, Junior Severino's not that, right? He could very well develop into something good. But, you know, this last year was very much a breakout year for him. I think it's similar to Jose Miranda where uh, he had a little bit more uh, hype when he was in the minors early on, didn't quite develop, have the twins like, and then all of a sudden had a huge breakout year at double and triple A. And Miranda obviously has a very different tool set than uh, Severino. But the other nice thing with Severino is he's a switch hitter and he has an almost identical line from either side of the plate. There you so, go. Um, you know, that, that's a good value to have there too. And so I, I put him in the 50, 50 category because I think he's a good guy to have. Uh, but it, it's hard to see him getting playing time at the big league level, just because of, you know, the massive strikeout potential without maybe the contact that even someone like Matt Walner has. Yeah. And the weird thing is why would another team pick up a guy who basically would be your backup first baseman and it doesn't have, I mean, he could DH, I guess, you know, but normally you wouldn't pick up a Rule 5 guy just to DH for you. So there's maybe a little bit, little bit less risk in exposing him just because he's not really, he doesn't play a role that a lot of other teams would see the need to fill from the run from the Rule 5 draft. I think I generally agree with you, but I'll push back a little bit in that. I think this is the the exact type of guy that tends to get prioritized in the rule five draft. I don't think you would go to any like of the teams picking in the back half, Mm -hmm. but someone like the reds or, um, you know, the A's definitely the Marlins, right? You just need somebody to take some at bats and, you know, you're probably not planning on winning anyway. Mm -hmm. I think coming off of a career year like that, you know, the power is going to play. Why not see if you can tweak a swing a little bit and get a little more contact? Yeah, uh, that's I think true. That would, it, that, and that's the whole thing about the Rule 5, right? It's a low-risk proposition. If you don't like him, well, you just send him back and probably get $50,000 in the process. Mm-hmm. $100,000 for a player is next to nothing. So. Right, yeah. I mean, that, that is a good point. I mean, first-base ba- first prospects, there are a lot of them. But if you have, if you have an opportunity to get a guy for cheap, you know, yeah. maybe that, Plus that makes he, sense. Like I was saying, he's a switch hitter, and so there's a lot of value there. Yeah. Plus, you know base second base maybe has a little more defensive versatility so um yeah he's one that maybe doesn't have a direct role with the twins right now but maybe they just select him so they don't lose him for nothing Mm -hmm. and end up trading him anyway yeah that's definitely possible and last one that's kind of in the same category that is probably more likely to be added than severino for that reason you were talking about is uh yair camargo Mm -hmm. who is basically a kind of projects as a prototypical backup catcher with some pop, defends decently well. Um, but he, 
I think is more likely to be taken because everybody needs more catcher depth. And so there's no problem with the team grabbing him and being like, hey, you're our backup catcher. You're going to play one or two games a week. Yeah. You know, that, that's kind of a great spot for a guy like that. Yeah. And he's also going to be, I think, important for the Twins because if they do you know, find a reason to trade Christian Vasquez this season or this offseason, um, Camargo is the next man up there. And I don't yeah. think the Twins would hate having him as a backup catcher. He's also a little bit on the older side, I think. Um, I think he's 24. 24, yeah. So, I mean, it's not that he's reached the end of his development stage as a major, as a, as a baseball player, but he is kind of almost all the way there. And if you just need a guy to be a backup catcher to Ryan Jeffers, there are worse options than, uh, than Camargo. Yeah, so he's 24 right now. Uh, I mean, the other reason the Twins might add him too is even if they don't plan on trading Vasquez, um, they had, were unquestionably lucky with their catcher health last Completely. year where the only yep. people that ever played catcher were Jeffers and Vasquez. And we know that obviously foul tips, backswings, guys just get worn down back there. And yeah. so it's super unlikely that you only need two catchers again next year. Yeah, and the Twins are also really big on kind of having two catchers. Uh, I mean, we didn't see it yep. necessarily in the playoffs, but they they cycled Jeffers and Vasquez pretty much equally in the second half of the season, despite the fact that Jeffers' bat was a little bit hotter. Um, they still had both guys catching pretty much every other game. And so someone like Camargo, a little bit younger, um, you know, maybe has less mileage on, on those knees. Um, he could still play a really big role for the Twins next season, um, regardless of whether Vasquez is on the team or not. Yeah. Yeah. His line for last year, 259, 323, 503 in 90 games. Um, you know, again, not a lot there besides the power, but uh, from what I've seen, he's played decent defense. Also, I didn't realize this, but apparently he was part of the uh, Bruce Star Gratterall Kenta Maeda trade. Oh, is that so, how we got him? Okay, cool. Yeah. Fun fact. The Dodgers just have way uh, too many catching prospects. It's actually kind of ridiculous. Uh, I know. They, they got something in the water over there, which to be fair, I know the uh, the Twins have gotten a lot of compliments for the catcher development too mm-hmm. so shout out to them yeah so this these other guys that we have here these are kind of actually let's do these three first which are names you've probably heard but are almost definitely not going to get added aaron sabato who was a first round draft pick in 2020 uh keone cavaco who was a first round pick in 2019 and then jose salas who was the prospect the twins got in the luis arise pablo lopez swap kind of the bonus piece that the twins were pushing for mm-hmm. um sabato and cavaco are not going to be added because they have been very bad um, I don't have a lot else to add there. Nobody's going to take them. I mean, maybe somebody takes Sabato again. It's just like, hey, he was really good in college. Mm-hmm. He's um, seen a lot of pitching. He just hasn't been very good. Cavaco was a very much a reach in the 2019 draft. I think he was taking like two picks before Corbin Carroll. So, you know, don't think about that one too much. <laughs> um, uh, I... Anyway, MLB draft is such a crapshoot anyway. It doesn't really matter, but just a funny coincidence. And then Jose Salas, um, I think he's pretty unlikely to be taken anyway. I still, I think I have a little bit more confidence in him turning into something over Cavaco. Cavaco is supposed to be a shortstop prospect who could hit. He can't hit. He had to move off of short. There's not much going on there. Salas is at least still playing uh, shortstop. But again, since he hasn't really played that much at all, period, I don't think that it's very likely that he gets taken. Yeah, Solace is also kind of interesting in the fact that he was kind of a consensus, kind of a, a fringe top 100 guy when the Twins traded for him. Um, and but he played his way right out of it. But yeah, and he, he's only in high A right now. So the, the odds that someone picks him up and puts him on their major league roster as a 20-year-old, well, he'll be 21 next year, as a 21-year-old who hit 190 at high A last year, um, it just 
it just screams like highly unlikely. Like there's no reason for any major league team to stash him. Like even the A's wouldn't do that. Yeah, I think the the counterpoint to this anytime somebody has an issue with it is always Akil Badu, right? True. Because Akil Badu, he he had he has tools, right? He still has tools. He's still fairly young, but at the time he was taken, he was 20, he had played let's see 29 games at high A the year before and had a uh 214, 290, 393 line. And the Tigers like, yep, that's the guy we want mm-hmm. starting in center field for us. Yeah. And so and anything can happen here, right? Because a lot of what you're betting on is tools, not actually results. But I think, especially for Solace, that would be a huge stretch. Yeah, the other thing with Badu that was a little different was that there was the 2020 year. So like he technically did like mature an extra year that we didn't yeah. see um uh, because of, of the because of COVID. Um Solace, on the other hand, I mean, we we saw that this season he hit 190, so it's it's a yeah, little less exactly. less exciting. Um, but yeah, there, there is inherent risk for leaving a guy off off the 40 man. So I I could see it happening for Solace specifically because of the prospect pedigree. Um, unlike unlike the other two of Sabato and Kabako, like Solace at least has um has had like a consensus recognition. Whereas, you know, Sabato and Kabako have never been that that type of uh, prospect. Right. Um, so these last three that we want to talk about here are three guys who uh, are old and maybe could be added, but I would call it pretty unlikely just mostly due to their age. So <laughs> first we have uh, Deshaun Kiersey Jr., who is kind of a late bloomer center field type uh, classic defense speed type of thing. And then he mm-hmm. did start to hit a little bit this year in uh, double and triple A, more so in double A before he got promoted up to triple A. But again, he's already 26. And so um, what I think what it factors in here is do the twins think he can be a fourth outfielder and, you know, kind of all these three guys are in that same spot of they're older. They very well could contribute to a big league team, but do you want to waste a 40 man roster spot on that necessarily? Yeah. I think what probably plays in here is the fact that the, the deadline to put a player on the 40 man roster, I believe is like mid November. So like November 14th or something like that. And so it's going to be after the world series ends and free agency opens. If the Twins decide to make a decision on Michael A. Taylor on whether he's coming back or not, I could see them putting Kiersey on the 40-man roster as kind of their backup center fielder. Um, but if you have Martin already, like, do you need right. Kiersey and, too? And, that's, you know? and I think it's, it's, I think it's because Kiersey, I think, could be on your opening day roster, whereas Martin, I don't think, yeah. could, can be. Um, just because of just, you know, to develop. Not that Kiersey is somehow better than Martin. I think just he's just a little bit farther in his development. And they could also yeah. make a decision that like, hey, we do want actually want to keep Michael A. Taylor, and th- then that means there's no reason to have Kiersey right. on the 40-man roster. Yeah, and I think that's an important part too, like you were saying, of uh, you know, you're going to have a good idea of whether it's Taylor or maybe it's like Harrison Bader or somebody like that mm-hmm. um, who would come for a one-year deal to play center field for the Twins. Um, you'll, you'll have a good idea of where you're at even if you haven't actually signed a guy right like are we close on Bader? are we close on taylor uh, i know there's a few other center field guys uh randall grichuk he can kind of play center field maybe not uh kevin kiermeyer yep. from the blue jays is a free agent right there's plenty of guys in that same range of older veterans who would probably go for a one or two year deal that you could bring back so mm-hmm. you have a good idea there the, the other guy here that i want to mention uh two more actually michael hellman who is steals a ton of bases and gets on base a bunch, but is always hurt. Um, a guy who I could see taken again, just because he has a, 
you know, pinch running skill set. So maybe a team takes him and see what they can develop out of him. But he's 27. And then Anthony Prado, who's a little bit younger at 25. Uh, he's a righty who uh, crushed lefties, but ironically, he played very poorly at double A. Uh, the Twins pushed him to triple A anyway, and then he hit excellent at triple A his whole time there. And so he was hitting like 197 at double A when he got promoted. And then uh, for the last month and a half at triple A, he hit like 350 or something like that. It, it was something crazy where just a complete turnaround. And again, he's a right handed bat who maybe you have in the. Jordan Luplo, Kyle Garlic mold of, hey, we're facing a couple lefties. Let's bring him up for a week and see what he does. Yeah. Clearly, when he gets picked on the Rule 5 draft, he's going to be um, the first man to hit over 400 since um, since uh, Williams. <laughs> so, yeah. The Twins fans forever. This wasn't a Rule 5 pick, but the David Ortiz yeah. thing just scars yeah. Twins fans forever, right? So if you lose a player for nothing and they turn into something good, uh, that that'll hurt you. That, I feel like that was that same anxiety about Arise, obviously, mm-hmm. where they're like, "Oh, he's going to hit 400." Guess what? I think uh, Julian pretty much ended up with the same production of Arise at the end of the day. They went about it in different ways, but their OPSs were almost identical. Yeah, but so, only one of those guys won the NL batting average title. Yeah, and we're we're super pumped about batting average these days. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it's got to be one of those situations where David Ortiz might be the best example of like letting a free agent rookie walk away. Like I I can't think of anyone else for any other teams that let a guy go that early who turned into just such a monster uh, in the playoffs. But can I interest you in Adelise Garcia? You know what? You could interest me in that entire Cardinals organization because they literally gave away like a bunch of all-stars. It's hilarious. Uh, Yeah. Garcia, Rosarena, Zach Gallen, Sandy Alcantara, uh, yeah, Alcantara, like four guys right there yeah. that are multiple-time All-Stars. Uh, one Cy Young winner, Gallon, who I think could become a future Cy Young winner. He's probably going to finish top three this year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, that some bad self-scouting there from the Cardinals. Just for the sure. Um, okay, so again, the I, I think the big thing to note here too is the Twins have a lot of open spots on their forty-man roster. I mean, that's not always great because you lost a bunch of guys in free agency, but. If you compare this to uh, you know 2022, part of the reason they traded away Spencer Steer and Christian Encarnacion Strand and uh, Kate Povich, right, another guy, um, part of the reason they made those trades were because they had a huge 40-man roster crunch. Where they're just like, we just physically can't put all these guys on a 40-man roster, and so let's uh, consolidate them and see what we can get back. Uh, versus this year, you know, you don't need to do that. You pretty much have room. I think that's why I think. Uh, you know, Rodriguez, Martin are locks to be added, and then Severino, Camargo. You know, even if they're more 50-50. If for no other reason than you have the roster space and uh, it's not going to be used anyway, why not add them? Especially because uh, um, those guys are going to probably contribute next year, except for Rodriguez. Yeah. But Rodriguez is a guy who you put on the on your forty man regardless, right? But but the other three, like we were saying before, could contribute next year, like we were saying. And I don't think anyone's going to come up and have the impact of Julian or Lewis, right? But yeah. uh, they could be very valuable role players as far as setting that floor goes. To say nothing of uh, Brooks Lee as well, who isn't going to be selected in the Rule 5, isn't eligible for that, but is very likely to be added at some point next year to make his debut. Yeah. Um, okay. I think that's everything we got. Do you have any last thoughts on the uh, Rule 5 draft here? No. Um, th- remember that this doesn't happen until December. So technically, uh, even though it is important because – uh, these players are going to be put on the 40 man roster basically probably in about like a week and a half um, in two yeah. weeks. Uh, none of this uh, is going to impact the twins until winter meetings. 
yeah. Uh, yeah, important things to keep in mind there. We'll, we'll definitely have another show about the Rule 5 draft if the Twins select or have anybody select from them. But uh, yeah, this was just a little more top of mind because you do have to make that decision now, even if the uh, actual process of losing them isn't for another moment. Exactly. Um, okay, that's all we got. So again, be sure to check both of us out over at Twinkie Town if you like what you heard here. Um, and then you can hear and read John over at Pitcher List for Fantasy Baseball. John, I saw you had a little bit of a different podcast this week from uh, This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, we were talking about Dynasty guys. And uh, we did have a little bit of a twin section in there. Got to talk a little bit about David Festa, who could be your uh, up-and-coming number five uh pitcher in the twins rotation next year we'll see how that goes um but got to talk about a couple twins guys but overall just prospect pitchers in general in uh, in the major league so if you're a dynasty player or you are a guy who really likes drafting sleepers for some reason in redraft leagues uh definitely check that out really deep sleepers the truly deep uh, sleepers the guys who are just like gone and like dead tired uh that's who, if right. you like picking up those guys in drafts yeah uh have you ever played a dynasty league i'm in one and uh, it's interesting because I, I thought I had a good strategy going in, and then it turns out my strategy of going high-risk injured players really backfired on me because they all got <laughs> injured. I had both. Could have seen that I had before. Jacob deGrom and Byron Buxton on the same team. So you can imagine how that's gone the last two years. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I've never done a dynasty league. I think it interests me a little bit in that, you know, I, I think there's a little bit more of the deep nerdiness that obviously I like because I do this. Yeah. But um, – yeah, no, it's it's a lot more in-depth, a lot more intense versus I think normal fantasy baseball. I can be a little more casual about yeah, it. Yeah, I was kind of stupid, though, because um, in the first year, Edward Julian got like dropped halfway through the season. I was like, oh, maybe I should pick him up. But I don't even know if he's really going to become anything good. So I, I let another team <laughs> grab him. Of course, this year he goes on and uh, you know becomes actually a really solid major league player. So I was a little pissed off at, at missing out on that. Yeah. I mean, and that that's why it's so hard, right? Where Julian's like, he's not a top 100 prospect. He, I don't even think he was in the Twins' top 10 prospects going into the season. Yeah. And then he's their probably second best player throughout the season. So, yeah. like, you know, they, there's just always things like that. Right. It's like, what does it mean to be a, to be the minor league hitter of the year? Why does that even matter? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, all right. Well, if you want to uh, hear about Dynasty Leagues, you can check out uh, that episode from John. Or if you like normal fantasy baseball, he's got plenty of that as well. Um, you can follow us on Twitter slash X. You can follow John at the John Cut and myself at Ben Jones underscore five. And you can check out the pod at Twins Talk Pod. Um, and then we will be uh, promoting everything over on Twinkie Town as well, like I was saying before. So be sure to check us out there as well. Um, do you have any parting thoughts for uh, the off season or for the World Series or anything? It's just getting started. Um, I know I know the World Series is happening and that's like a really important thing for baseball but when we talk next week the World Series will be over um, I know and we'll be full-on free agent mode so if you are a sicko like us and you just care about baseball all year long uh, we'll be right there with you yeah I, I it's the nerdy part right where you're like oh this guy's undervalued and we can go grab him and we can trade for this guy right but that's the stuff i love right that's what we talk about and so um yeah no that this is uh the exciting time of the year for me so we'll be right there with you like john was saying and until next week go twins